Hello. Hey, it's Ned. Hi, Ned. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm really excited to speak with you for the first time. Yeah, I know. No, I've been aware of you and seen you on、uh, War Room and other places. Saw you on Tucker one time. So very cool. I've been following your work as well, and we have two passions in common. It seems. First, I'd say your work in the field of looking at the takeover of America,、uh, yes. especially at the turn of the twentieth、yes. century. And、uh-huh. then the second thing I was really excited to talk to you about as well is your work in countering all this revisionist history that's been、uh, taking place for quite a while now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I get fired up about those two things and other things, but yes. Because I saw an interview you gave a few years ago where you were talking about the Woodrow Wilson era, and this is actually something I brought up on the War Room the other day. And I, I find the first quarter of the 20th century fascinating, and you can trace back a lot of what's going on today back then. And I know you're an expert on that,、oh, so I wanted to hear your、yes. thoughts. Yeah. No, I've, I've got a few thoughts on. I've told Tucker this. I mean, we're seeing the end result of the administrative state leads to very powerful bureaucrats who think they're the ones in charge and they can do whatever they want, and they're unelected. So you, the American people, it's very hard for the American people to hold them accountable. And、uh, so, yeah, no, let's let's talk about that. Absolutely. I mean, looking at certain documents from the time, it, it clearly. The movement of this movement, you know, spurred by Walter Lippmann and these types of people, they truly believe in a technocratic way to govern. They, they do. I mean, this is really—you started to see this really if you look at Woodrow Wilson back. It was the 1880s. Study of administration. You saw this very. Let's have a scientific. It's scientism, is what I call it. We're going to have scientism. We'll cure all the ills of society. We'll create a massive administrative state bureaucracy. In fact, you can see in Wilson's writings, you know, he he really talks about how he prefers to have the best boys from the best colleges, an educated elite, with as little oversight as possible from elected officials, and because he thought that would be it would make it too political. Right, and we've got all these educated elite have the best shot at using science and facts and all this to advance society, and we're gonna have this massive bureaucracy. And, and the thing that's interesting to me too, when you look at it, they they really felt that a massive bureaucracy was a sign of health for a society, and I think it's a sign of sickness.、Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole the whole premise of the American Republic is a self-governing people, and it's not just the the American people being able to govern themselves; it's about the individual governing himself or herself. And if the individual will not govern himself or herself, then there have to be outward constraints, and then you have to have more bureaucracy. You have to have more government because you have to have some semblance of peace and order, or society completely implodes upon itself. And so I look at massive bureaucracy and government as a sign of sickness, in which the people really lost the ability to govern themselves and specifically the individual. So, I, and, I, and I think the thing too, I mean, even taking that next, you know, step further, as I alluded to earlier, I mean, you look at where we are today in America, 2021, and the administrative state really. I, I look at it, and we're kind of the first wave of the progressives, 1895 to 1920,、mm-hmm. and in those 25 years, you saw this massive explosion of the administrative state, and here we are, 100 years, and we're seeing the end result of it, in which you do have a quote unquote. You know, educated elite, who I think is more of an idiocracy, right? It's a credentialed idiocracy. They've gone through credentialing institutions, indoctrination centers of higher learning to get the right credentials to be a part of this. And now they're trying. They have little accountability. They're extremely powerful. 
are elected officials in a government of by and for the people who have been made stewards of the powers and money given to them have basically abdicated their their role to the administrative state bureaucrats and now these bureaucrats think they can do whatever they want and if you say something that they disagree with they'll turn the power of the state against you whether you're president donald trump or tucker carlson and it, it's really a dangerous place to be in, I think, as a country. And we, we need to start having this conversation. What do we actually envision for our government moving forward? And also Paul Hodgkins, you know, as we saw with the sentencing two days ago. It's, um, it's incredibly troubling. And this, this is what I've been trying to talk about, relaying the brilliant work of different reporters and journalists and, and leading voices on this, but to see how they are using all the powers of this mammoth administrative state in order to target anyone that would dare question the legitimacy of that right. administrative no, state. Exactly. That, and that's really what this comes down to is, first of all, enough of this uh, on January 6th being an insurrection. That yes. in, in many ways is one of the big lies. Obviously, another big lies being that November 2020 was perfectly normal election. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, not by a long shot. But you got to give credit to – so Julie Kelly is, is one of the writers of American Greatness, like I am. Yeah. She has been amazing on this subject of January 6th. She was just actually on the phone with some of these, these detainees. And it really is – they are political prisoners who are being held, some of them in solitary confinement, for nothing less than trespassing. Right? Nobody's been charged with anything more than trespassing for the most part. They're trying to create all these spurious charges, but there's nothing that really that, – that's justified that it's more serious than trespassing. And the scary thing is – when you have a powerful administrative state, the justice system becomes weaponized against political opponents, and then you end up with a bifurcated legal system in which if you have the wrong political beliefs or associated with the wrong political you know, candidates, you get targeted. Whereas you know, we've seen multiple times over the last four or five years, if you have the right political connections or the right last name, Ah, you know, more series of suggestions. So I, I think the other danger that we face as a country is a bifurcated legal system where there isn't absolute rule of law in which some people get to see it as more a series of suggestions. And at that point, you start to see republics, you know, end. This is something that's been very troubling, again, to watch from the outside as someone who loves America so much and values one of the reasons why I value America so much. It's because of the history of your country being the most just country in the world with the That's most right. reliable judicial system and to see this having been completely flipped upside down. And um, this is why, you know, the case of one of my heroes, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, was so important. And he said it, you know, if they can, he decided to fight all the way through because he said, I need to do this. If they can do this to me, they're going to do it to anybody, and, and this is what we're seeing play out. I, I think we've lost sight. The scary thing is, and there's, there's a whole reason for this, that we have lost sight of who we are as a people, mm -hmm. because it's, it, it, it's the antithesis of the progressive worldview, and they have obviously seized hold of the institutions of you know, K through 12 education here, and obviously the, the colleges and the universities. Mm -hmm. We are founded upon the premise of, and this was a big deal for our founders, uh, the law is king, not the king is law. Because they were up against arbitrary authoritarianism. And this is one of the things I point out a little bit in my, my second book, The Adversaries, in which they viewed the beginning of the American Revolution as a, a principle, an act of principled defiance 
in the face of arbitrary authoritarianism, and once they won their independence, how do you actually build and construct a government in which you protect the inherent natural rights of the people, and at the same time, obviously, put the law, the law is king, not the king is law, so it's not arbitrary, there's equal application of it. And the thing I was going to say, I want to say about this, and I addressed this in my first book, you know, the founders and the progressives have very divergent views of human nature. And that's, this is the one thing I tell people all the time. Were the founders of the American Republic perfect men? Of course not. That's idiotic to think that. We live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. But what they did get right is human nature. And they realized that although we had been endowed by these transcendent rights, by our transcendent creator, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and all these other rights, we should never trust human nature because human nature isn't perfect, and many times we do what we can, not what we should. And so the beauty of what they did in founding the American Republic, they diffused power. They didn't even trust themselves, right? So they're sitting in, they're sitting in Philadelphia in the summer of 1787. They had to have known. If this thing comes off, we're going to be the presidents, we're going to be the vice presidents, the congressmen, the senators, the judges. We could consolidate power and make sure we have all of this immense power in this new republic. They didn't. They did the exact opposite. And the progressives, this is, where they, this is their fatal conceit. They trusted human nature. They thought, we will consolidate power into the hands of an educated elite. And through that, through that process of scientism, we will reach some nirvana or utopia on Earth. And they, the, the amazing thing, Norris, is 20th century is actually replete with empirical evidence that when you put consolidated power into the hands of a relatively few imperfect human being, the end result is not nirvana or utopia. It ends up usually killing tens of millions of people because, again, human beings do what they can, not what they should. And to think that we are, as you said, in 2021, I mean, these instances or these examples are quite fresh. You would think that we would learn lessons from these examples, but it goes to show the power, the power of propaganda, the power of psychological warfare, and the right. different weapons that have been implemented in order to completely subvert reality and manufacture a revisionist history of America that doesn't allow, as you said, you know, through education, to, for people to value what it is that the founders were able to achieve. But I think even, and I, I don't disagree with you at all, I think even more so, the education system as captured by progressives have ceased to teach people to think critically, to mm -hmm. ask questions. Mm -hmm. they, they merely want them to accept the party line, to be indoctrinated, to not question the status quo. And after decades of that, you end up with a people I think that are a little confused because they're thinking, wait a minute, we hear about some of this with the founders and the republic, but then we see what's taking place, but then we've been told a certain thing through the school system, but now our common sense and, quite frankly, natural, I think, critical thinking starts to kick in and people are starting to ask, nothing makes sense. I tell my children this all the time. I, I, I literally tell them, question everything, except for me. You yes. live in a benevolent <laughs> dictatorship. Uh, but you were to question everything, and I think that's the only way you can actually get to the truth of a matter. And instead, when we start to question things on a, you know, even a higher level, you know, 2020 elections or, or anything that's, that challenges the status quo, you're called an insurrectionist, you're called a seditionist, which, by the way, that's what the founders of the Free American Republic were called, too. And I, I think it's one of those things where the American people have to step back and ask themselves – 
what are the incentives for the corporate propagandists and everybody else that is trying to feed us a line? What are they trying to achieve? What are their incentives? And does that actually align with my interests and my priorities? And I would argue 99% of the time, they do not. Yes, and although the landscape looks really bleak and the past few months have been incredibly trying, I think, for a lot of people, one silver lining is that a lot more people are coming to the conclusion that it does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I think one of the things, and, you know, I don't know how it's being followed across, you know, outside of America, but this whole critical race theory. I'm here in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is was northern Virginia, about an hour outside of D.C., and critical race theory in Loudoun County with the Loudoun County School Board has really resulted in a grassroots revolt. And this is what gives me hope, that a lot of people are saying, no more, we're not going to take this sitting down. And it's not just Republicans. There are Democrats and independents that are involved in a recall effort for the school board members because they're stepping back and going, hey, we didn't sign up for this. And they're not even really sometimes, some of them aren't even that irritated about critical race theory. What they are irritated about is the fact that the school board refuses to teach advanced math classes and other advanced courses because those are racist. And the Democrats and the independents are going, hey, wait a minute. We don't want to limit our children's future and and their possibilities. And this is really starting to spin out of control. We expect you to actually, you know, teach advanced courses. And if you won't, you know, we're going to recall you. So I I, I do have hope, but I I remind people we're up against very powerful institutions, uh, whether it's in the education system, obviously the government. At the same time, the American people have incredible power if they realize, again, we live in a republic. And all power flows from the people. But I will say this, Nor, the thing that that concerns me a little bit and something I'm working on with American Majority right now, we have to fix some of the things, the very unusual things that happened last fall, whether it was the universal mail-in, you know, Democrats have skirted state laws, state constitutions. If we can get that right before the 2022 and especially the 2024, I'm optimistic that there will be a backlash from the American people in which they say we've had enough of this regime. Because it really is this administrative state regime that the American people are going to push back in a significant way if they have the ability to have completely free and fair elections. I think you don't have a country unless you fix what happened in November 2020. Absolutely. If you do not fix the process, and this is, again, where a lot of the American people are going, hey, wait a minute, you're telling us to not trust our lying eyes. You know, our eyes are lying to us and you're supposed to accept what you're telling us. And yet we're looking at Maricopa County in Arizona. We're looking at Fulton County in Georgia. We're looking at all these other places where there are a lot of unusual things that took place and the numbers are coming out. And I think you're going to see a lot more. I think there's been 20 or 21 states that have passed some form of election integrity uh, in this latest state legislative session, which will have another one, obviously, next spring, spring of 22, before the fall 2022 elections. I, I, I like our chances to correct some of these faults, but if we don't get this right, you're right. We're, we're not going to have free and fair elections, and the end of the republic is sooner than we think. There are three, I think, key fronts at the moment where all our efforts have to be concentrated, and the, the three are the following. The first one is exactly fixing what happened in November, the whole election process. The second thing is exactly what you're doing with American Majority, preparing the next generation to then, once 
That's in, right. con in conjunction with fixing the process, then you have the key people who are America firsters, who are patriots, to go in there and get involved at the local level. And then the third yes. aspect is also what you've been working on with your books and this absolutely incredible document that I love so much, you know, the, the 7076 Commission, yes. uh, which you took part of, re-educate Americans to value your country and what makes it so great, what makes it the greatest country in the history of the world, to reconnect them with the yes. roots yes. of no, the country. I I think I, I absolutely agree with with you on all three of those points. The thing that struck me on point number two, obviously been doing American Majority, founded it 13 years ago yeah. with the idea of going out and training good men and women to run for state and local office. And I've been telling people recently, 2020 provided even more empirical evidence that American Majority is needed even more today because of the lockdowns, because of the quote-unquote, you know, coronavirus epidemic, I'm saying that with air quotes, Yes. the unusual elections, all of which in many ways revolved around state and local officials' decisions. And if we don't figure out how to go in and take over school boards and city councils and state legislative chambers and even governor's mansions, uh, we're going to see more of the same absurdity in the future. And so the thing that I am trying to do and will continue to do is it is a good thing for America First conservatives to learn the art of political war. And that's what we do. We teach politics as policy. Learn how to win politically because if you win politically, guess what? You get to be in the right place to implement the right policies, but you have to win first. And then guess what? Once you have won and are in the place to implement policy, power is a good thing. And this is the one thing that really, truly frustrates me about many in the conservative movement, as though power somehow is an icky thing. It is a good thing to be in power, to implement the right policies, to end up with the country that you want to see be a reality. And I think that's one of the most bizarre things to me in the last couple of years of watching Republicans. I've been in D.C. 21 years. I came back here in 2000. My dad was in the House. I thought I'd try it out for a couple of years. Here I am 21 years later. But to be able to observe this up close, to watch conservatives and Republicans go, yeah, we're in power, but we're just going to trim around the edges. This is where we have to, once we get power back, and hopefully we will in 2022 and certainly in 2024, we have to have the courage and the ability to use power wisely to implement the right policies, to devolve the administrative state, to get to the country to restore the republic, but to get the country that we actually want Power is a good thing if used for the right reasons. And the last thing I'll say is about the third point. No, it was a tremendous honor to be put on the 1776 Commission by Trump. We wanted to go right at 1619 Project, critical race theory, which I call insidious fictions that are revisionist, that are, that are written by fabulists. And to really go and really – the thing that I really have tried to emphasize, especially in my first book, Restoring Our Republic – but I talk about all the time, how do you reconstruct the machinery of the republic? Because that's important because, you know, not to go too far down a rabbit trail, the machinery of the republic is far more important to me than even the Bill of Rights. And I think some people find that a little shocking, like, why would you say that? It all revolves around a debate between George Mason, Alexander Hamilton, and James Madison, because George Mason was asking for a Bill of Rights, an enumerated Bill of Rights, and Hamilton and Madison pushed back and said no. We don't want to for fear that if you try to enumerate all the rights that every human being is allowed, you'll leave some out. 
The best protector of our natural rights is the machinery of the republic in which we have diffused power so much that the government won't be strong enough to abuse human rights. And the progressives have been knocking down the machinery of the republic for the last century and continue to do so. So it's, it's astounding how the machinery, as you call it, of the republic was so sound and yes. how it was devised that it will have taken these nefarious forces over a century to subvert this machinery in order to implement what they view as um, perfection. Whatever, it, it's whatever their motives. I mean, I think I think their motives are more nefarious than trying to achieve perfection. But yeah, let's no, call I, it their subversion of the country. No, I agree. Uh, I, I would argue that the un-American left and the Democrat Party are one and the same. Right? That the un-American left has truly taken hold of the Democratic Party. That the parasite, a parasite, has eaten the party from within. Because I, I, I tell longtime Democrats, this ain't your granddaddy's Democratic Party anymore. It ceased to be years ago. A lot of the things that they are pushing have nothing to do with the founders' vision for this country. They have nothing to do with love of the country, patriotism, any of that. And it's, it is always amazing to me when I debate or interact with the left. There is a – let's, let's just be blunt about it. There is a hatred of this country. And it's kind of stunning to see that coming from an American, how much they hate this country. And it, but but I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you're dealing with religious zealots. We should meet them with our own passion because it's worth fighting for. This is exactly what I've been saying, you know, in different interviews of the past few months, is that your country is being ruled, and this goes beyond, you know, left or right. You know, the, the swamp is, you, it doesn't matter which side it is on. But at the end of the day, the ruling class of the country is anti-American, hates America, and wants to do everything in its power to indoctrinate the rest of the population into becoming anti-American like them. And this, for me, from the outside, looking in, has been just shocking to, to watch and just for a personal anecdote, you know, but I've been going to the U.S., you know, since the age of three. Right. And I remember distinctively, you know, my first trips around the age of three and four, and those memories are so vivid in my mind and growing up all the way up to my teenage years still there was this commonality wherever you found yourself on the political spectrum but there was a love of america across right. the board people had their flags out and t to fast forward 30 years later only how in three decades you have now, I don't know if you saw that video the other day that was on social media of that little boy on his yeah, uh, bicycle pulling the, pulling the, like taking the flag out of this, off of this person's lawn and throwing it on the ground. And the mother was also on her bike and just like watched and said nothing. Like she's teaching this to her child. And you know, this it's just, yeah, I mean, it's so shocking to me to watch this unfold. It truly is. I, I, th this is one thing where the reason that it's so easy for some of the newer generations that have been indoctrinated to hate this country is because they've never been taught where we came from. Mm -hmm. And it's the whole point of all of the 1619 Project and critical race theory, the systemic racism, again, air quotes being used here, is to go after the founders, to delegitimize the founders. If you delegitimize the founders, you delegitimize the founding documents. Then you delegitimize any institutions based off those documents, and you get to start from scratch and create a new world in your own making, which would be a very scary world if I, if I can say that. The thing that, that I, I wanted to point out, you said something that really triggered a thought. 
the founders believed that they had a duty and an obligation to defend their rights and to defend the country that they had founded. They, they truly believed they had been given these rights and that they had another right, which is a right to defend them. But they also believed they had an obligation, not only for those that had come before, but those that came after. And I think that's the challenge for a lot of people today. Of Once they fully understand where do our rights come from, they don't come from government. No earthly power gave us our rights. A transcendent creator did. If no earthly power gave them, no earthly power can revoke them. We have a duty and even more so an obligation to defend those rights and to defend the republic that was built and constructed to advance and protect those rights. And I think that's the thing that's missing with a lot of American people. And I don't judge them, actually, because the whole education system for decades has actually not been teaching these things. And so, therefore, they just simply don't know. That's why I wrote Restoring Our Republic. It's written more in a layman's layman's terms more than a curriculum so that people can it, – it's more easily approachable for them to understand some of these fundamentals. And I think once more people get to understand these things, they'll have more of a reason to actually fight for them. You said it perfectly, Ned, and they've done everything to sever the American yes. people from this knowledge, from this basic knowledge that your rights are God-given. They're not given by anybody else or any form of government, and they've been trying to undermine through all realms of society, you know, education, media, entertainment, as I've written in my letter. Through any possible door, they've tried to cut Americans from that most essential fact. That's right. No, I, I, I there's also something too. Tell me. The, God, the, the godless un-American left, because I think a lot of them have realized if you truly believe that your rights come from a transcendent creator, that there might be other obligations you owe to that creator, and that really, really bothers them. I mean, there's a, there's a whole other conversation to be had off of that, but I wanted people to at least think about that. If you truly believe that your rights come from a creator, you might have other obligations to that creator, and the left cannot stand the very thought of that. Absolutely. It's all about removing God wherever 100%. they can. 100%. Ned, you'll have to come back on, I hope, very soon. It's uh, such a pleasure speaking with someone who loves America so much, and the thing I wanted to tell you is that I mean, what you're doing at American Majority is so vital, and what you're doing to correct these lies about your yep. country's history. As someone who loves America, as I said, you know, I, I take great joy in watching your work and what you're doing. I really appreciate it. No, I've enjoyed it. We, we, we have to have more conversations in the future, but I appreciate it. It's uh, something I hope that you can hear the passion in my voice, and it's something I hope to be doing for many years to come, and hopefully inspire others to join the fight. Absolutely, and if there's anything that I can do, I mean, I'd love to be involved, and uh, however I can, to help push in my small way the needle towards rectifying all these uh, lies. Uh, this, this is what I want to dedicate myself to doing, because it's, it's vital, not just for America, and obviously this emanates from my love for the country, but America needs to be strong for all of us. Yeah, and I will say this, and I think I heard you say something similar to this. I think it was on the war room. But I remind people all the time, if the American Republic truly falls, where do we go? Where do you go from here? We are truly the world's last best hope for freedom. And if the Republic truly falls to these, these forces, we have real issues not only for obviously for this country, but for the world as well. For the entirety of humanity. Um, exactly. 
to end on a positive note, you mentioned something earlier. You know, you're very optimistic, and you see people waking up. Whether it's the the parents that are going on to protest or to call out the boards and how they're they're being so totalitarian and how these boards、uh, are trying to indoctrinate the children. That's right, indoctrinate, but in a very authoritarian way.、Mm-hmm. I mean, here where I'm sitting, they take 65% of my property taxes for the education system,、mm-hmm. which. You know, there's other school school boards that get more than a billion and a half dollars, but that's what the Loudon County Board gets from us, and they get this billion and a half dollars, and we, the parents, want to say, hey, we we don't agree with some of these things that you're trying to do to our children, and basically we're told to shut up. We're we're viewed as ATMs for this ruling class, and when we actually question it, they tell us to shut up, and a lot of us are saying we don't think so. No, this is our money; these are our children. You serve us, and if you can't figure that one out, we'll find other people to do. Yeah, and it's been so encouraging to see all these videos circulating of parents who are taking this stance and who are fighting for their children. And whether it's them, whether it's the brave Americans, you know, that are trying to rectify the 2020 election, however they can, you know, signing、right. affidavits at great risk, you know. But there are so many people that are standing up, and this is a testament to the、yeah. American people and the American、yeah. character. Exactly, you took I, you took I, the right I, words. I, I, I've had I've had a few questions about the American character and the American spirit. I think many of them have been. It's not apathetic. It's almost it's almost like they've been asleep in the light, which they're just asleep and they're 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 zombie walking through the days. And it's all of a sudden something's awakened in them, in which they've all of a sudden they're looking around, going, "This doesn't make sense. What's happened?" And I think that I mean it's obviously a very good thing. I think it's going to lead to some real turmoil because I always tell people, listen. Now that the American people are becoming more awake, what do you think happens when the 2022 elections don't go according to how the administrative state and the corporate propagandists want it to go? What happens should Donald Trump run again and win in 2024? If you think that some of the things that we've seen over the last few years have been ugly, wait till he wins again. I mean, I still. I still think that 2020 elections will be rectified, even though probably a constitutional avenue will have to be created, since it's such an unprecedented situation. But, But you know what it will require? It will it will require incredible political courage. And I have to tell you, I am not sure I see the political courage required in Republican leadership or on Supreme Court justices. I'm just being a realist. I I I look at the Kevin McCarthy's. And the Mitch McConnells. Quite frankly, I'm very disappointed in Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, but I'm not sure they have the political courage necessary to do what I think is going to have very legitimate empirical evidence to have a very strong case to have a look at the 2020 elections. Once we're done with Maricopa and Fulton, there's going to be an audit in Wisconsin. There's going to be an audit in Pennsylvania. I think we're going to have so much overwhelming empirical evidence. And then it will be a question of do we have the political courage to do it? I, I just I'm not sure we have it. So the next recourse is 2022 and 2024. I'm just being a realist. I mean, we could have an entire other conversation、oh. about the fecklessness <laughs> of the GOP leadership. Oh, oh I, I have to tell you, really quick. Every now and then, Trump will call me after TV hits,、mm-hmm. or if he sees a tweet, and I tweeted about him meeting with Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And someone showed it to him, so he called me. This was just a couple days ago, and I had a really blunt conversation with him. We've we've known each other very well for the last four years, and I said, you know, sir, the thing that really troubles me 
is you're going to go in and you're going to endorse all these House candidates, Senate candidates. You're going to make Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell speaker and leader again, probably. And what are you getting in return? They're not going to push America first. They're not America first adherents. They're going to use you. And then once they've gotten power back, they don't need you. So get concessions out of them right now before you actually go help them in 2022. It was just a really funny conversation because I'm like, there are a lot of us in the base, sir, that wouldn't trust Kevin McCarthy as far as we could throw him and even less Mitch McConnell. I mean, <laughs> their track record is abysmal. So. It is. No, I'm just, I, I just, the thing that frustrates me, I've seen it in D.C. time and time again, where everybody wants to play the D.C. game. And they don't have the political courage to say we're not going to do – we're not going to have status quo. We're not going to do things as they've always been done. And I think that was the thing about Trump that really excited me, you know, back at the very, very beginning of 2016 of this guy actually has – he's Americanism, right? It's not republicanism. It's not democratism. It's not – whatever you want. It was Americanism. Absolutely. This, This was considered a stunning concept. That, oh my gosh, we would have a president that would actually advance the priorities of the American people in a government of, by, and for the people. And that was the, the, the dangerous threat. Ultimately, at the basis of it, the very dangerous threat that Donald Trump was to the administrative state was that he actually proposed the idea that, hey, maybe this government of, by, and for the people should actually serve the interests of the American people. And for that, he was targeted by the the administrative state, DOJ, FBI, our intelligence community, in which they tried to undermine and take out the duly elected president of the United States based off that premise. I mean, Ned, every time I think about his inauguration speech, I get chills. I mean, what he said on that day about giving the power back to the people and the whole speech in its entirety, I mean, I revisit it on a regular basis. It was so powerful and this is exactly why the establishment did everything they could to take him out and devolving power don't forget there was a line in there in that inaugural speech of devolving power out of dc yes also also very deeply threatening to the people sitting in dc and i told him repeatedly sir you talk about draining the swamp the very foundation of the swamp is the administrative state Break the state, drain the swamp, restore the republic. That's the whole process. And he started to go down that path. I mean, I think I saw at one point he had shut down 200 different agencies and sub-agencies. He was making – I wanted him to shut down – I think it was the EPA. I actually proposed this to Bannon. He thought it was hilarious. I'm like, you should do this. Basically shut down the EPA, uh, basically retire or buy out any of the employees – uh, that were redundant, get them out of there, move them into other departments. You probably get a 60% decrease, right, just from that. And then blow the building up, literally implode the building and build a freedom park over where the EPA is. And then Donald Trump's pushing the red button, and then he looks around to everybody and saying, I told you I was going to devolve the administrative state power out of D.C. I just did it. There'll be more of this in my second term. I thought it would have been beautiful. Never happened. I think he had to play a very careful game because he was being hounded by Republicans all the... Republicans were protecting him. You know it first had, having witnessed it up close. But from the outside, looking in, just seeing how everything was deployed to portray him as this tyrant. And so he had to play 
a very delicate game of taking action, but at the same time not reinforcing what all the different institutions were coordinating to portray him as. You know, I think the one thing that really struck me with Trump was that he was such an outsider, truly an outsider, Mm -hmm. that when he came into D.C., he was under the impression that he was the Republican president, therefore all Republicans are on the same team with him. No, they're not. Paul Ryan was never on the same page. Mitch McConnell was never on the same page, except for maybe on judges. And I think that was one of the things that was really a wake-up call for him when he realized, oh my gosh, Republican leadership on the Hill, even though the Republicans, and I'm a Republican, we're not on the same page. They're not going to defend me. They're not going to protect me against crazy Russian collusion conspiracy theories. They might actually go down the path and buy this idiotic premise and impeach me. And I think that was one of those things where he, he told me at one point, he's like, Ned, I knew it was bad here. I didn't realize how bad it was. But I think I finally come to an understanding of how bad the swamp is. And when he was saying that, it wasn't just about Democrats. It was about Republicans as well. This was his greatest gift, the fact that he exposed them all on both sides. Um, I just wanted to bifurcate on something because we, I mean, we joked about how the GOP is just so worthless and feckless and we could talk about this for a while. But there is one thing that has been incredibly um, disturbing, jokes aside, and I wanted to bring it up because it's been in the news all over. And we mentioned it earlier, the, the treatment of the January 6th political prisoners. And I'm sitting here and uh, you mentioned, you know, the brilliant work of Julie Kelly and we have also the brilliant work of Darren Beatty at Revolver. Yes. And uh, I actually wrote for the first time about the January 6th hoax mid-January in an opinion piece for Revolver, calling the hoax uh, for what it was. And just just such a big lie. And watching this unfold and that the GOP, that, I mean, how is it that not more people are talking about this? I I can't believe it. Comes back to that one term I used earlier, political courage. Most of these guys are gutless wonders who are far more interested in self-preservation, and they think that they somehow question the official propaganda line, that they will then become a target of attack themselves. And I think the thing that's truly disheartening to me is, again, not not a surprise, right? Again, having been here for decades, watching the gutless performance of of Republicans. Ron Johnson being one of the rare exceptions, Senator Mm -hmm. out of Wisconsin, which he's actually stood up and go, this is ridiculous. Yes. I think the other thing, too, that I'm really curious to know about January 6th, and I think Darren actually mentioned this on an interview with Tucker, and now we're seeing very screwy behavior with the FBI and this whole Whitmer kidnapping case. I don't know if you've been following that. Absolutely. there, There were 12 FBI informants in which 14 other people were arrested. It's like, what is this, an informant for every person you arrested? It was the FBI that was really formulating, paying for, actually planning all of these things to entrap these guys. Only one of them has pled guilty. 13 have said not guilty. And now I'm really starting to obviously think, having had my suspicions already, what was the FBI's role on January 6th? How many informants were there? What were they actually doing? I have to tell you, the thing that's sickening about all of this I've had questions about the DOJ and the FBI, obviously, in the last four or five years with Comey's despicable behavior, the FISA abuse, all of that, but even before that. And now you're starting to realize these institutions that were supposed to be the guardians of the rule of law, they're not that anymore. 
they're basically the Praetorian Guard to protect the administrative state against anyone that dare challenge it. And they would literally stoop to actually formulating ridiculous stuff like this kidnapping of Whitmer. And I'm starting to suspect, I think the truth, when the truth is out, and I hope that it will come out about January 6th, I think we're going to see FBI fingerprints all over it. No, absolutely. And, you know, my audience who, who've been listening or following me are very much aware because I really do my best to relay uh, the investigative work at Revolver and what they're doing there. And it is, you know, Darren Beatty and his team who have really brought to the fore this question as to whether or not there was FBI involvement. And while Christopher Ray, you know, in his testimony in early February uh, said that it was an intelligence failure, actually it transpires that it was a setup and uh-huh. uh, everybody should go and, and visit those uh, those reports at revolver.news because it, each right. day that passes it becomes more and more obvious that all of this was a machination to justify the regime targeting anyone that could question. yeah their legitimacy and how dare you question i remind people all the time were, were there people that were stupid on january 6th of course they were but at yeah. the same time, but at the same time, let's for, not forget why they were there. Because they had serious questions about the legitimacy of the November 2020 elections. Because they didn't believe the party line. Exactly. And that, and that to me is when you lose faith and trust in institutions that are supposed to protect and defend and advance your rights and enforce the rule of law. I mean, society and culture and countries start to come apart at the seams. And this is the this is one of those calculations. The administrative state, where they're so drunk on power, they probably haven't thought about this. But at some point, when people refuse to accept the legitimacy of why you have an institution and why you have that power, that's the beginning of the end for that regime. That and is, I think a lot of the American people are, start, are getting to that place. Like we don't trust you. We don't trust the FBI. We think you've become political. We think the DOJ has become weaponized and political as well. We have lost faith and trust in a lot of these institutions, and at that point, you know, it, it, it leads to certain decisions by the American people, and I hope they will rise up and say, we're not going to have this anymore. We're going to go back and try and restore the republic. Ned, that is exactly spot on, and there is this great awakening that is happening, and they can't do anything about it. And what I'm, and what I'm sensing is, is desperation and sloppiness, and I mean— A little bit. Thank, thank God, and I mean this sincerely, thank God that it wasn't more serious than it was, you know, what happened on January 6th. It could have been much worse. But when you look at it, it was an incredibly sloppy uh, operation that took place. And we have the video there. They still there's thousand hours that have not been released. That's the thing that I want to see happen. Exactly. They're hiding it for a reason. And I know they're hiding it for a reason, because if they actually release that, There'd be a lot of truth that came out that would absolutely implode the party line. And we see it with the video that is already available, that has been circulating from, you know, social media, et cetera, where you do... I think Tucker even showed it. Tucker showed it as well, yeah. And you see, you know, these these guys dressed all in black. I posted a video where you see this guy dressed in black inside the Capitol handing out through the window a baseball bat to somebody else dressed in black outside the window. I mean, this whole thing is a complete sham. Yeah. No, and I, I, this is, 
This is where I hope we will eventually get to the truth of, I mean, we're, you know, you've probably been following even in the last day, this ridiculous, bogus Nancy Pelosi's uh, select committee on yeah. January 6th, where she's now rejected Jim Jordan and Jim Banks. Yeah. Because it's not, they don't really want to get to the truth of it. But I hope that we will have, you know, Darren and Julie and everybody continue to dig because at some point we will get to the bottom of the matter. And I think when we do, I think the American people are going to go, hmm, yeah, it was. It's a, it's a lie. January 6th was a complete and total lie. Not even close. This is the other thing, too, how irresponsible these people have been. They don't care, though. Insurrection? Are you freaking kidding me? Really? Yeah. You don't even know what an insurrection looks like. <laughs> I mean, they, they sort of do, but, you know, because they're the ones doing the insurrectioning. <laughs> uh, I would argue that the BLM, Antifa, riots and burnings of American cities, that probably was more in line with what a real insurrection Exactly, like. exactly. So they know, they know what it looks like. They're just trying to spin it and gaslight yeah. us. They are. They're, they're, the thing that's amazing to me, too, really, the, the other point on this, they don't feel the need to apologize at all. Even though we know that the, their lies are outrageous, they just continue on. I mean, the thing that was amazing to me, because I was debating a lot of people on MSNBC and CNN at the very height of the Russian collusion conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. laughing at them, by the way, uh, not one apology. No. Not one of these people inside of MSNBC or CNN or Washington Post or New York Times has ever admitted Ned, because that's not the point. Ned, the point did you see? Advance. Ned, did you see the other day when they brought back up the PP tape saying that actually it was oh, it was true? I'm like, here we go again. Like, come on, guys. Like, give it a talk. rest. You already tried this. I mean, this is. I, I have to tell you too. I tweeted out today about the the Delta variant. Uh, of coronavirus like you know fool us once you know shame on you fool us twice shame shame on us yeah i know like we're not going to do this again guys you've already tried this op on the russian collusion pp tape once it doesn't work a second time Mm -hmm. and now they're rolling out the delta variant sorry you know i I was willing to give you two weeks back in the spring of 2020 i'm not giving you a second thought this time because i think you're just this is absurd and ridiculous now and i don't trust you I mean, that, again, could be a whole other phone calls. I think we're going to have a series of phone calls together, Ned. (laughs) It's going to be the Ned and Noor podcast. (laughs) There you go. Uh, It'd be a blast. No, I've enjoyed this. This is a lot of fun just to to have conversations. Oh, me too, uh, Ned. I hope we get to meet in person when I come to the U.S. Let's do it. If you're in D.C., I'm only an hour outside. Would love to to meet in person and have a cup of coffee and, and talk more. Yeah, that would be lovely. Um, And in the meantime, because we don't know when all these crazy restrictions are going to be lifted, in the meantime, let's make sure we get another call uh, in the books. It would be great. Super. Would love it. Thanks for joining me, Ned. Absolutely. Speak soon.